Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for us at keyword World Talk Radio. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. ready to pump your energy and jumpstart your dreams with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio on the world's most popular power hour, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. The Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and her sidekick daughter, Heather Brittany, deliver lessons of success spanning the generations of the globe in their information-packed Tea for Two, a mother-daughter brew. In other segments, Cynthia interviews real-life trailblazers, authors, and experts with the courage and vision who show you how to build a road to fulfillment through their unique books and services. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be informed and entertained. For your free lifestyle empowerment coaching session right here on the airwaves, turn up the volume, relax, sit back, and get ready to be inspired. Because Star Style, Be the Star You Are, starts right now. Well, it's playtime again here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Welcome back, you power partners. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And I am so glad that you are back with us, Heather Brittany, because it's just never the same without you. And we are a show about talking good books, bringing you experts and authors that really jumpstart your life. So we want you to pump your energy to love, to learn, to laugh, and to live your dreams. My goodness, it is the last day of June. My This this uh, year is just floating by, isn't it, Heather? My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that, that actually uh, July is tomorrow. And it was like pouring rain up here in Northern California just a couple days ago. So it didn't, it seemed like winter. So hopefully now summer is here. Well, we have a fantastic show for you today. And I'm glad again that Heather's back because she always brings us wonderful health segments. And today is no different. We're going to be talking about Lyme disease, what it is, how you get it, and how you can stay away from it, and what do you do if you may suspect it. In segment two, what a treat this is, you're going to have author and screenwriter John O. Mulvaney Woods, who wrote the sequel to Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. It's called Return to Treasure Island and talk about a page turner. Now I want a sequel to the sequel. It was so great. And finally today, we will get into the garden for the garden playground. And I'm going to lead you around and show you just how you can have some fun outdoors this wonderful summer. Now, the miracle moment for today is brought to you by the new website, Express Yourself at btsya.com, which is the youth and teen program for expression and to get your opinions and your creative works and positive messages published. Again, it's btsya.com. And this is from another legend, Mark Twain. 
Keep away from those who try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that, but the truly great make you believe that you too can become great. And isn't that what we say here at Be The Star You yeah. Are, Heather? It's exactly. We want people to yeah, believe in your greatness and become the person that you were always meant to do, be. And then you'll be able to do the things that you want to do. So we're talking about Lyme disease today, which is an inflammatory disease that is spread through a tick bite when the tick picks up a bacteria called Borrelia burgdorferi. And that's when they get that when they either bite mice or rats or deers that have been infected with Lyme disease. And Lyme disease mimics a lot of other diseases, and it really, really can be troublesome. So, Heather, let's talk about Lyme disease here in the United States and what we can do. I know it was first reported in 1975, and now I think cases have been reported across the United States, whereas it started in Connecticut. So what is Lyme disease? What do we do? How do we diagnose? Yeah, well, especially with it being summertime and everyone's going to be outside, um, it's really important that you're aware of this. So since about 1982, there's been about 150,000 uh, reported cases. And now you always have to be careful with those numbers because those are only the reported cases um, to the CDC, the Center for Disease and Control. And it actually, Lyme disease is the most common um, born, uh, it's called an anthropod-born illness in the United States. And it's caught early, it's very curable and treatable, but a lot of times it goes undiagnosed. And just as you're explaining, um, for the most part, it comes um, from ticks and infected ticks that are uh, transmitted from humans or to animals. Um, things kind of start off with it is um, if, in fact, um, Excuse me, actually, let me go more to area-wise. So as you were saying, the first concerned in the Connecticut area, it's mostly, it's mostly found in the East Coast as well as the upper to uh, Midwest. However, um, there have been large populations in Northern California and the, and the Oregon Coast, and there's no really evidence that it's traveled, you know, from there. It just seems to be that there's some form of infected, you know, animal bacteria that gets latched into these ticks. And it doesn't necessarily mean that every single tick is carrying this um, disease. They think it might possibly have to do with bird migrations, birds getting mites and ticks, um, you know, migrating from one area. Similar to not, um, you know, when different things, there's different outbreaks. Not all one species uh, contaminates that. So it's not if something was to bite you. Um, or you work, you know, to get a tick bite doesn't necessarily mean you're at danger of getting Lyme disease. However, um, if you are um, bit by a tick, you know, the first thing, especially in the summertime, kids are outside, you, know, you go, I remember as a kid, we would, we used to get tick bites all the time, but it was um, kind of, we'd see them early because we're going out in the hills, there's long grass. So a big thing to do if you're going to be outdoors, especially in woody areas, grassy areas, do kind of a little inspection when you get back. Um, I know you need to always kind of go through our hair and skin because sometimes you can feel it. Sometimes you don't, and they're um, they latch on you and they're blood sucking. Our first initial thing. And, and is, before you say that, Heather, I just wanted yeah. to tell people of very often where ticks are lying. People think that they have to touch a deer or or some wild animal to get a tick. The ticks are normally at the very top of a plant. So if you go on a hike, 
the ticks are in the plants often. So they've already bit the, the animal. They're in the plants. I mean, if they have the Lyme disease. If they don't, but they're in the plants. And they can smell, basically smell your blood from a oh, great vampire distance. Little vampire They're like a little vampire. They smell, I guess it's a CO2 or something. So when you're walking along, they smell that heat, the blood in there, blood, blood hungry, and they jump on you. So that's why, yeah, they actually jump on you. And I learned this just recently when I had Vector Control come out and look through our own gardens and orchards and stuff because the grasses are high and we're backed up to open space. And so they were just telling me what the how the life of the tick is. So it's very, very interesting. So anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt yeah, there, so, but I um, wanted to just tell people. Prevention-wise, during you know, the summer, if you're going to be going out in the outdoors, just kind of some prevention of it to from uh, initially even getting ticks is wearing long pants and sleeves and walking through heavy brush um, and woody. Or sometimes you know, with maybe a stick cutting through, uh, cutting, kind of smashing the, the the tall weeds apart. Keep your shirt tucked into your pants. Wear light colored um, clothing so that ticks can be spotted on it. Because if you're wearing dark clothing, you might they might blend into it. Um, also, spray your clothes with insect repellent. And check your clothes and skin frequently. And then as well as once you get home, um, make sure you remove the clothes that you're wearing, wash the clothes, have someone else um, kind of inspect your body, and, um, and possibly ask someone, you know, to kind of feel around, see if anything. And let's just say hypothetically, oh, my gosh, there is a tick on you. Yeah, and one, one last thing but while you're saying wash the clothes. Yeah. Because I learned this the hard way. Always, also, if you've been outside like that, make sure to wash your hair. Because a tick can get in your hair and drop down into your body during the night or later. So, if you know, if a tick is just yeah. like into your hair and you don't brush it out, I mean, because it, sometimes it wasn't brushed out, it helps to wash your hair. Okay. So then, go ahead, in case you do have a tick bite. So, well, just so, um, so let's say, you know, if you do find a tick on you, and, and again, and not every tick will be carrying Lyme disease, but in the potential, this is all starting with prevention of, um, you know, preventing them first, we want to tell you to wear the right clothing and take some precautions. Um, but then, if in fact you are bitten, the first thing, anytime where if something is on us, our first initial reaction is wanting to rip it off, squeeze it, grab it. Do not do that. Um, do not try to burn the tick off with a match or a hot object. Do not twist it or pull it. And do not try to smother it or lubricate it or try to you know, squish it out of you. The big important thing with these ticks is that if, they're, um, if the head is left inside of you, that can be the most potentest thing. So if you do find um, a, uh, a tick attached to you, it's good to kind of follow these basic steps. So grasp the tick close to its head or mouth with Tweezers. And if it's in a position that you're unable to, get someone else because sometimes someone else's sturdy eyes, um, it's, it's oftentimes you might have to put your body in an odd angle and you don't want to have the mishap of leaving the, the tick's head inside of you. And do not use your bare fingers. If needed, use a tissue or paper towel, but the best instrument you can use would be tweezers. Pull it straight out and slow and in a steady motion. And again, avoid squeezing or crushing the tick. Um, you really want to make sure that nothing is embedded into your skin. And then after that, make sure you clean the area thoroughly with soap and water and also wash your hands thoroughly and make sure there's no residue or that potentially it's embedded itself back into its hands. 
if um, you have, you know, if you feel if you've um, gotten any rash after and I'll go into possible symptoms, you might want to save that tick in a jar and keep um, careful signs of it for the next couple of weeks because potentially if you may have been exposed to Lyme disease and you need to go into the doctor, um, it would be good to have that initial evidence to make sure that they could inspect it and make sure that, that some of the tick isn't still inside of you. Um, and then if you do, if you realize that it is inside of you and you're unable to get the remainder of the tick out, um, it's definitely best advice to seek medical advice. Um, go to urgent care. You don't need to go to an emergency room, a local doctor, urgent care that can get you in there because there could, again, be the potential that this, um, that this tick does, in fact, have Lyme disease. So if you have, in fact, been bitten by a tick um, that has exposed you to Lyme disease, there's a lot of kind of initial symptoms. And usually the first symptom is a rash. And this rash usually occurs in about 80 to 90 um, percent of Lyme disease cases. Um, so usually it's, um, it kind of radiates in the site where the tick has bitten you. And it will usually be either a red solid, <clears throat> excuse me, red solid rash or just kind of a blotch. And oftentimes there'll be a central spot, a spot in the middle of it that's just a clear skin color. And almost similar if anyone's ever had like a ringworm, um, it'll have a ring sense to it. And, it well, and they call that, sometimes they call that a bullseye. And it can even be larger than, um, can be as large as three inches. So Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes this doesn't occur um, for about one to two weeks and sometimes even up to 30 days. So um, just kind of keeping the initial thing of being cautious that if you have, if you notice something a couple weeks later, just keep in mind if you had been bit um, that maybe you might want to seek out medical advice. The next thing that seems to happen after these rashes, people start up having joint pain, chills, fevers, uh, fatigue. Again, if this um, persists, it can be very, um, very damaging too. Because again, the early the early stages are just kind of, um, you know, just kind of superficial. That you know, headaches, uh, you know, the, the spotting. The next stages um, can kind of stiff, stiff muscles, vision changes, high fevers. The late stage, um, eventually, it can cause numbness in the arms, legs. Uh, it can, you know, affect people lifelong and actually causing um, neurologically um, debilitating disorders. Um, however, if it's caught early, it's as simple as with most things that are caught early. They give you an antibiotic, um, very, very common um, antibiotic. I think they, they said it's just like doxycycline, amoxicillin. And this is if it's um, caught within the first three weeks. It's just taking the medicine and it's very you know, straightforward. It's a lot of times because symptoms don't occur until um, much later. People don't seek out medical advice or people... Um, may not have been aware that they had that initial bite or not. And, and I want to just, you know, piggyback on that and say when you say they don't aren't aware, many times the deer ticks are so small that you can't even see them, and so people don't even know they're bit. So anyone, if you do have a bite, you want to watch yourself closely for at least 30 days. And also know that most people who are bitten by a tick do not get Lyme disease. So you don't want to you know, freak out right away, but you definitely want to watch yourself. And as you said, get medical attention. We're winding up to an end, so let's get um, just some other some other things that we need to say as far as expectations or prognosis. Oh well, just prognosis. I just I'd say just keeping an eye. If you've been aware, being in an area um, which is tick prone again, as you said, is that it isn't everywhere. It's mostly East Coast, except there has been more 
in um, Northern California areas as well as Oregon Coast. Um, so just being aware of your area, being aware of always when you're coming back in the summertime, um, bug bites in general are just more prevalent. And also, if you notice any kind of rash or reaction after being outside, it may not be from a tick. It may not be Lyme disease. It may be from some other kind of animal. And be cautious if you're having any anaphylactic um, reaction to some kind of bite because something that could be, go very wrong. So, um, again, in the summer months, bug spray, repellent, always use a buddy system of having someone else inspect you. If you do have a tick, use a tweezers. And then just be cautious of weeks later if you're noticing any of these bullseye symptoms or any kind of chills, fever, to seek out medical advice. And just really know that if without treatment, complications can be severe and they involve your the joints, your heart, your nervous system. So if they're, you know, when in doubt, get checked. That's, I think, what we always want to say is, you know, if you're having numbness or pain or paralysis or any of those things, just make sure you go and see a physician. Well, Heather, give out the websites. Most definitely. We want to check, want you to check out all of our websites. So go to VitaStarYouAre.org, VitaStarYouAre.com, and CarmonyCoaches.com, both with a K. And when we come back from break, we are really going to have an adventure. We are going back to Treasure Island. We're going to find some booty and talk with the pirates. When John O'Mulvaney Woods, he has written the book, Return to Treasure Island. He will be with us. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And this is Star Style. Be the star you are. Don't go away. We've got Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho coming up. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Get a positive prescription for living and discover a cure for adversity when you make a difference in the lives of others by donating to Be The Star You Are, a 501c3 top-rated charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth through increased literacy, positive media, and tools for living. www.bethestarur.org. All donations are tax-deductible. www.bethestarur.org. Be the lucky star. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a changemaker when you dare to care by supporting Be The Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio 
It's the Power Hour on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Now, back to the show with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Well, thank you for staying with us. You are a good listener. We are not going to send you to Davy Jones' locker. Well, every week, Be the Star You Are showcases incredible authors and experts who enhance and inspire your life. And Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 charity that brings you this radio program as well as other programs such as the new Express Yourself for Youth at btsya.com. Make a tax-deductible donation today and keep positive messages flowing. We really appreciate that. Well, it has been written that discretion is the better part of valor and spontaneity is the better part of brilliance and imagination is the better part of making dreams come true. Well, when John O'Mulvaney Woods reread the classic Robert Louis Stevenson novel Treasure Island as an adult, he realized that the narrative was more rich, more vibrant, even more brilliant than he even remembered it as a boy. And John's desire to have that story of Long John Silver and Jim Hawkins' adventure continue as he dreamed of writing maybe a sequel. Well, Stevenson had set a hard high bar, yet... As LeVar Burton wrote, Woods has skillfully brought us back into the life of Jim Hawkins in the most successful way imaginable. The book, Return to Treasure Island, it's a wonderful novel. It's a first-class sequel. It's a romp on the wild side with the dangerous search for the greatest treasure of all time, the Pharaoh's gold. And it is where good triumphs over evil. John is with us. Welcome, John, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Well, thank you, Cynthia, and thank you for inviting me on your show. Well, I am so delighted to have you. Uh, this really was a page turner. You know, like uh, or like most people, I guess, I haven't read Treasure Island since I was a young child. And from just the first page here, it was so exciting. I had to go back to read Treasure Island again. So you really kept the voice, the tone. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's like you're Robert Louis Stevenson reincarnated or something. Well, sometimes I felt that way. But yeah. uh, you, you did bring up a very good point, and that is um, I get letters uh, and emails all the time about people saying, um, you know, I read your book and I enjoyed it so much that I went back and read the original. So for me, uh, <laughs> that's really gratifying because, as you mentioned in the opening, I loved the original by uh, Robert Louis Stevenson. And... Um, and, you know, by capturing the voice and, and keeping it in the same sort of uh, style, uh, I think it's, it's an enjoyable read for people. Oh, it's more than that. I mean, you're really there. I, I, you were a screenwriter, and I, I, mean, I would love to see this made into a movie as Treasure Island was or has been twice before. I, uh, do you have plans for that? I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but, oh, you know, yeah. I, I think it, it'd be so great. That's absolutely true, yeah. Um, we have a, uh, a screenplay being written, and uh, uh, it's kind of under wraps a little bit. It's always good when um, a Pirates of the Caribbean comes out. Exactly. And does a billion dollars because everybody realizes, oh, people really do like pirates. <laughs> well, you know, I love pirates. In fact, I speak, I, I speak a lot around, uh, well, I speak around the world, but I also lecture uh -huh. on cruise ships. And I lecture as a pirate when I do the Caribbean. I have all these different pirate talks. And so uh -huh. reading this book, I was right there again, you know. <laughs> I was yeah. walking the plank. I, I really... Well, 
really. It was just so great. Very, very, um, yeah, thank you so much. You know, the Pirate Talk actually was probably where I spent the most time on the book because uh, I was researching, and it turns out that uh, the original Treasure Island is where Pirate Talk was uh, originated in, in written form. I guess Stevenson went to Bristol and, and sort of tried to capture the cadence of how pirates spoke. So when I realized I wanted to do the sequel, I went through the original book and created a, you might call a pirate Bible, of how they actually spoke in their adjectives and the way they answered questions and everything. And I, and I transferred that to, to my book. So, you know, probably the most authentic uh, <laughs> reproduction of, of uh, pirate talk is in my book that Stevenson created. Well, and this is what makes it so fascinating to me in reading your book is that it feels very, very real. And mm-hmm. also the reader learns things because, you know, I think so many pirate movies have, they always portray the pirates as just the renegades, you know, the buccaneers just kind of out there. But they had codes that they lived by. You know, they lived and died by these codes, and you brought that out over and over again. You know, that that codes and contracts were part of the pirate life. They may not be the codes that we would recommend living by, but they still had things like that. So tell us about your research, and how was it that you were able to keep this voice, you know, that was originally created in 1881, and this yeah. was really just a story that he had done for his uh, stepson. Yes, that's a, a good point. I, I, that was one of the original decisions I had to make, was um, was I going to keep it in the same Jim Hawkins voice telling the story? And uh, and it was I thought it was critical to do that in order to sort of keep the adventure and the magic alive. But, uh, but to your question uh, about the research... It was it was quite eye opening to me, Cynthia. Um, you know, most pirates, uh, the majority of pirates started out as as uh, privateers, right? And they, they, you know, they were paid by the governments of France and England to go out and um, pillage, basically. And right. and the reward was they were protected by the crown, and they got to split. Uh, whatever spoils that they got. Well, and so, Queen Elizabeth I was the was really sort of the pioneer of the privateers, and this is what yes, put England absolutely. on the map. Is you know when she was sending out her her pirate her pi- privateers. <laughs> yeah, and and what what really hurt the privateers is when uh, all the countries decided to get along, <laughs> so so they couldn't um, you know attack each other. So then they went to buccaneers. But again, about codes is what's interesting is they actually had contracts. Every pirate signed a contract. They had health benefits. They had um, survivor benefits if they died, and uh, they got to choose who their portion of whatever the booty was goes to their family. If they lost an arm or a leg, they got um, compensated for it. And they had rules of how they could comport themselves on the ship and so on. So it was a very disciplined group of people, very honorable in a sort of a, uh, you know, a, 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 a rascalian sort of way that uh, they, they treated each other. And it was very important for me to bring that out in, uh, in return to Treasure Island because uh, it, it humanized them. It, it didn't make them, you know, cartoon characters. It gave them depth and, uh, and interesting personalities. 
And I agree. What I, I really, I'm glad you said that about humanizing them because I really felt that they were real people. You know, I did not, when I'm reading your book, Return to Treasure Island, and we're speaking, by the way, to John O'Mulvaney Woods. I just call him John Woods, but you'll have yeah, to check good. out the book. Is that okay? Return to Treasure Island is that you brought these characters um, to life where I felt like this was a real place, these were real people, and this was part of history. So when I read Return to Treasure Island, I don't feel that I'm reading a novel, but I'm reading a historical piece, which I thought is really important. Well, thank you, and, 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 and so did I. Uh, I. I did want to create the, um, the world of Return to Treasure Island, but I didn't want to actually do a rehash of the original book in a sense. So I brought in new characters um, and and expanded the relationships. And then funny enough, um, in the original Treasure Island, there was the only woman in the entire book was uh, Jim Hawkins' mother, and she was right at the very beginning. Right, because he didn't want women in it, right? I mean, wasn't mm-hmm. it the stepson? Wasn't it the stepson who had said to uh, Robert Louis Stevenson that he did not want any women in the story? So there was just the mother. That's correct, and uh, and so I brought in a uh, romantic um, uh, relationship for Jim Hawkins. You know, and was, I loved uh, it because she's so strong. She is a yeah, strong, it, it was very modern for, woman. To be a strong woman, yeah, very important. One other thing that you brought up, too, which I, I would like to share is, uh, you know, I wanted the book to be a positive message. And, you know, I'm a, a very big fan of Campbell and his hero's journey. And I, and I felt that the story uh, needed to show Jim, you know, going from, you know, young, uh, young adult into uh, manhood. And, and learning, you know, great values, positive uh, way of doing things, and uh, made um, John Silver his mentor doing that. And uh, so it was important that, uh, that the book was, you know, not only a realistic read and, and important for people, but it actually, people would feel better after they read it. And you accomplished and, that because oh, I think with the character of John Long Silver. He had a redemption here, and I also loved the thread throughout the book where you were never sure if he was still, you know, if he was still a leopard not showing the spots or if he really had become fond of uh, Jim Hawkins, you know, as a father-son relationship, and you don't really know till the very end, you know, and so I thought that was what is so great is this quest that that the readers go along with you and that Jim is struggling. He has to struggle with, does he want to actually become a pirate or is he going to follow his love and his heart, you know? And I think it it showed a struggle that we all have in life. We're given Mm -hmm. choices and paths and which path do we take? The high road, the low road, which one? Very good point. And, and, you know, I I believe, you know, it's sort of the the cowboys, the bad guys. It's a very seductive lifestyle, the pirate lifestyle. And, and, uh, and I did want Jim to have a struggle with that. And, uh, and, you know, it was a great part of the, of the narrative thread that went through it with his thoughts of, you know, do I want to continue on with this or do I want to, you know, uh, as you say, follow my heart and follow my love. So that, that, that part, um, I'm, I'm very gratified that, 
that uh, well, this you is another. It. Oh, I, I enjoyed every part of it. In fact, <laughs> you know, as I was said at the beginning of the show, I'm I'm just sad now that it's over, and I'm ready for another sequel to the sequel. I want to I want to find out what goes on from here. And um, the other, this is a research thing, though, because you have some very cryptic maps and these secret codes and these numbers and letters that have to be oh, yeah. deciphered. Uh, where did that, did you have, did you make this up? Did you go back into history? Uh, you know, obviously you're talking about the Pharaoh's, the Pharaoh's gold, and this mm-hmm. was such a big thing. And, of course, all the Spanish, you know, Armada and all the different, they were always getting stuff from South America, and, and they were stealing from every, well, not just them, but everybody was yeah. stealing from everybody. And then you talk about the Knights Templar. You're bringing in a lot of different elements here. Give us a little background on where, you know, how that evolved. Well, um, first of all, you know, one of the things that um, I think personally that I enjoy uh, in reading, you know, a, a book on pirates is a is a treasure quest, and I thought about it, and and I thought, you know, uh, it would be really interesting if we could create a, a code that that pirates would use. But so I did. I made up a complete code. I mean, it, it there is codes on the cover. There are codes on the head of every chapter. Um, there are uh, codes hidden within the text. It's a, it's very uh, well embedded throughout the whole book. And, and it's the same codes that they have to use in order to discover the treasure. Um, and, and as far as the Knights Templar, and, and uh, I also mentioned um, the uh, s- Southern uh, and Northern um, War, War in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I also throw in, uh, threw in a very uh, kind of an interesting um, uh, ode to Jules Verne in the book, too, which I don't want to give too much away for. Yeah, but, right. But... Um, but I, I wanted to include all those things because they were contemporaneous in the time that I set the story, and I thought it would just enrich the book to to um, bring those elements in as far as part of the uh, reality of the story, making it more real as opposed to just a fictional novel for the reader. But I will say that that after it was published, I started getting all these letters going. Okay, so how do I break the code? How do I do this? So I actually created a a uh, spot on the website, treasureislandbook.com. And, you know, you have to answer a kind of a cryptic question from the book, but once you answer the question, it takes you to a secret website that has uh, the code and how to break it. So it's it's made it a lot easier for people to figure out what's going on that way. <laughs> well, I want to give that, that website out again because uh-huh. it is a fun website, and I love your music mm-hmm. on it, plus you have some games, some puzzles, you have more yeah. things about pirates, there's about you, you can buy the book there, find out mm-hmm. more of what you're doing, it's treasureislandbook.com, and it's a great website, really, and oh, I love the you. spider yeah. going across, I mean, however you design that, it was, it's very, it's very fun, it, you know, there's the, the dead man's chest is there, but, uh, but one of the questions that I had, though, about, like, the, the war, uh, civil war between the North and South, in your research, or did mm. you find that there were actually funds happening like this? I mean, is that actually yes. part of history? Because I know there was funds that came from Canada, and you know, and there were mm. these kind of things. Um, so there were things like this. That's, that yes, was enlightening to me. With I, my research for um, Return to Treasure Island. I was also writing another book called Jesse James' Secret. 
And that's when I found out that uh, the North and the South had a, a secret group of people working to uh, support the South called the uh, Knights of the Golden Circle or the KGC. And the KGC were going around the world you know, uh, you know, grabbing gold, and, and, and it turns out Jesse James was robbing trains, grabbing gold. They were all trying to get gold around the world and treasure to bring it in to fund the South's beating the North in their, um, in their war. So I used that as a, as a background basis for one of the uh, additional characters that I brought in as a reason for why the treasure would be there and why they would be looking for it. So yeah, it it was it was based in fact not in the fact that you know there was a treasure that was called the Pharaoh's Code, but in the fact that the South had sent out um, uh, ships and and uh, people around the world to try and you know steal funds, get funds, however it would be to support the South in their in their fight against the North. And and that also brought a little bit of humanity to that extra former privateer pirate, you know, who was rather brutal by the fact that he was actually hunting for the treasure for a cause that he believed in as opposed to just reward himself. So the the whole, everything, the way you mixed it together is just phenomenal and you just have to have another sequel now. Plus you did also, you had a prequel called The Spanish Galleon that just gives people a little bit of info before you get to return to Treasure Island. So let's give out website again. The name of this book is Return to Treasure Island, John Woods, website treasureislandbook.com. And Mm -hmm. what are you working on right now? You've got something else coming, right? Yes. Well, as I mentioned, uh, the Jesse James Secret book that I was working on has been published. And uh, and we actually did a two-hour television show on the History Channel about it called Jesse James Hidden Treasure. It was their number one rated show. And now I'm working on a series of books called The Seekers. And uh, it's, uh, it's about four people that go around the world studying uh, ancient archaeological sites, trying to figure out how they're all connected. It's an action adventure, and uh, there's a website for it called theseekers.com, and people can go there. I do want to mention that anybody that goes to the treasureislandbook.com website can download for free the prequel. Uh, that you mentioned. It's a fun read. You can download it, print it out. It's a, it's fun to read. And I believe also that there's a PDF there of the original Treasure Island. So There is, because I yeah. downloaded it. <laughs> okay, good. So, so I wanted that's, that to be available for people uh, at, uh, at no charge. And it's formatted like, like my book, too. So, so it's kind of a fun read to read that way, too. It, no, so that's what I'm working thing. on. The next thing will be The Seekers. It'll be coming out in the fall. The first book called The uh, Lost Tomb of Alexander. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited about it. And as well, far as the, another sequel to Treasure Island, to. I have gotten hundreds of letters about that, uh, emails and letters saying, you know, gosh, you know, could you do another book? And I wrote it thinking, you know, I'm just going to do this book and move on. But there's one interesting character I think uh, you'll agree is pretty interesting that I introduced called Captain Steele. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm sort of working on an idea of how I can um, uh, expand another uh, book based on his characters uh, involving Long John Silver. So, Well, I'm sure th- that everyone who reads the book, Return to Treasure Island, uh, as well as I, would encourage you to follow that. Because Robert Louis Stevenson, in my opinion, Treasure Island, um, and of course, Kidnapped, too, but... 
Those have yeah. to be like the best books that he wrote. And then he didn't write any sequels. So you need to follow up. Well, we, we are out of time, John. This was fabulous. Oh. Everyone go to treasureislandbook.com. The book yeah. is Return to Treasure Island. And John, it has been a delight to have you on the show. Thank you so well, much. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, and again, you know, you've, You've honored me so much because, uh, you know, my goal was to write a book that would entertain uh, people. And at the end, they'd say, well, I really enjoyed that. And, uh, and your, your gracious comments have told me that uh, it worked out well. And you also enlightened. So entertained, enlightened, yeah. and informed. And enlightened. I like yeah. that. Thank you so much. John okay. Woods, the book, Return to Treasure Island. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be right back. Don't go away. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. You've been asked to provide a proposal of your services for an upcoming job. You want to be clear, succinct, and competitive. Start by writing your mission for the success of this project in the first sentence. That'll grab your prospective client. Then detail the features and benefits that you propose. Make sure you've done plenty of research to substantiate your claims. Read everything possible on the subject that you are proposing. Consider conducting surveys to present and collect statistics on how others have successfully achieved a similar result. Keep your proposal short, to the point, focused, and on target. Give your credentials briefly and refrain from being overly formal. A straightforward, simple, easy-to-read proposal is more comprehensible to a majority of persons who may be reading it. Be optimistic, promise a lot, but deliver more. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another Business Bite for Star Style. For coaching and consultations by phone, Skype, or in person, Call 925-377-STAR or visit starstyle.us. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature Star Style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7888. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Turn up the volume, grab a seat, and get ready to be challenged, inspired, and motivated to greatness. It's power party time on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your hosts, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Well, thank you once again. I am back, and it's going to be Digging Deep with Cynthia Bryan, 
because we're going to plant a playground. And whether the result is a horticultural masterpiece or just a modest vegetable patch, the hope for a glorious future is at the heart of all gardening and all gardeners. So every morning after making my early bird rounds of my property, with a cup of java in hand, of course, I go to my office, I sit down to the computer, and I respond to emails. I usually post some little quip on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And, of course, every week when I'm doing my radio show, I post who our guests are going to be. And then I usually, my musings uh, that I'm posting are regarding either the radio show or the literacy charity, Be the Star You Are, or something about the teens or, you know, an insight on working with the teens. And I get lots of responses from all of it. And then once in a while, I post a blurb that pertains to garden issues and how to, you know, keep birds in your garden or to bring bees there or to protect from pests or how to prune, etc. And what is so fascinating to me is that when I post anything about gardening, my inbox overflows with comments, and I get friend requests from literally total strangers around the world already insisting that we are colleagues because we are gardeners. And what I have found is that it's the love of gardening, the love of nature, the not love of getting our hands in the dirt, being sustainable, getting uh, nature around us and into our souls. I mean, I do think that it's in my genetic code, that it's the equalizer. It's our common denominator. Our gardens become our personal playgrounds, our sandbox of building, planting, exercising, sharing, and growing. I was reading the journal Environmental Science and Technology, and I love it how it says that five minutes in the garden every day improves not only your mood, but your self-esteem. And gardeners tend to have more self-confidence than other people who are doing something else. So you see, researchers really do suggest that gardening is in our evolutionary genetics. That when we tend to patch a earth, no matter how small, we're going to feel more peaceful, more generous, and more optimistic. And Prevention Magazine shared data indicating that there's a biochemical pathway in our brains that is stimulated and satisfied by these primal longings to commune with nature. And that's just one of the reasons that Be The Star You Are, for example, we initiated the Paint a Pot and Plant a Seed project, oh, probably 10 years ago or more, where we give young kids a pot, we give them soil, we give them seeds, and we show them how to plant and then how to tend for something, and then we give them a book. So it's a metaphor for literacy, but at the same time, it's teaching them how to grow their own food or to care for something, to be responsible, to be patient, all of that. So that is a really, it's very important, this whole idea of getting our hands in the dirt and growing something ourselves. Now, gardening is good also for our bank balances. The Associated Landscape Contractors of America calculates that landscaping adds at least 14% to the resale value of any building, and it helps it sell six times faster than it would. And ecologically, when you plant anything, it benefits the planet because planting reduces soil erosion as well as it filters pollutants from our ground sources and our water sources. Now, there are all kinds of statistics. Oh, sorry, I'm not even saying that right. Statistics with how and why people garden. And 
I am a member of the Garden Writers Association, and together with Technometrica Market Intelligence, they do this survey every few months to find out how are people around the United States gardening. And this is quite interesting that uh, their, their surveys represent an accuracy rate of about 95%, plus or minus 4.2 percentage points. And this is over 100 million households. So it is really, it's a large uh, portion of the population. Half of the population are gardening this year in their backyards. And uh, a quarter of the population are sprucing up their front yards. And they're planning to do it this summer, even despite the economic challenges. Now, 51% of consumers favor buying plants of the highest quality, no matter what the cost, even in these downtimes. And 27% of those were will buy things at the least expensive. What I thought was really great is how many people are planting vegetable gardens and herb gardens. And it was 82% are motivated to do so because... They believe that homegrown vegetables, fruits, and herbs are tastier, pack more nutrients, and are freshest from the earth to the table, which I agree. Now, where do people get their ideas? A whopping 34% were getting them from books and magazines and newspaper articles and radio shows, which made me very happy because I hope that they're listening to this show and I hope that they're reading my garden columns. I guess they are because they're, they're, they're contacting me. So uh, although most people uh, who live outside of cities have larger spaces, the average size of a garden lot was only 10 feet by 10 feet. And a large percentage of people are gardening in pots. So I think it's great. I call anybody a gardener who even has one pot of something. And I am really all about having a uh, herbs or even a vegetable in a kitchen window. This is why I want to bring paint a pot and plant a seed to the inner city kids. Gardening is the number one hobby of Americans. And this is another reason that I think it's really important to include this in Be The Star You Are, is aside from beautifying our surroundings and providing edible nourishment, the physical, the mental, the spiritual, and the emotional benefits shine for all ages of anyone who plants anything. Because gardening increases strength, it increases flexibility and body tone. Now listen to this. 45 minutes of active gardening burns the exact same number of calories as 30 minutes of aerobics. So you just do 15 minutes more of weeding or, or uh, mowing or pruning, and you're getting the same amount of calorie burn as aerobics. And so gardening is really a real exercise. Uh, one hour of weeding, for example, burns 300 calories, which is the exact same is if you walked or bicycled at a moderate pace for, for one hour. Gardening is also a stress buster, uh, especially for me when you're hacking away at weeds instead of seething with bu business burnout. Although I did get an email and I got a new client this week who said that gardening is not stress, uh, not a stress buster for her because she doesn't know how to do it. So she hired me to help her design her garden so it would be less stressful. And for me, anytime I'm digging in the dirt, I'm connecting with nature. I'm unplugging from the technological turn table, and then I just feel a lot better. 
So what do we learn in the garden? You know, patience is learned because, you know, you can't, you can't rush uh, a turnip. And when there's the long, cold, and rainy season like we had this year, many of the seeds that I had planted are only now sprouting, and some of them rotted and didn't grow at all, which shows me that Mother Nature decides when germination occurs that I am just a worker bee, that I am not in charge, that I can only kind of follow the seasons of life. Now, the garden is the foundation for creativity because we can combine colors and textures and form and function, and it doesn't really matter what style, shape, or size our gardens are. They are our play structures for our imaginations, and they're a gathering place for our family and our friends where we all find tranquility, enjoyment, and camaraderie. So it doesn't matter whether you have just a balcony or a patio or a window space or an orchard or a farm. Gardening is the hope for the future. So my wish for you is this summer you're going to dig in, plant a personal playground, and welcome the flower power paybacks because being part of the gardening community will really strengthen your spiritual, your emotional, and your mindfulness. I also thought I should uh, answer a few questions that I've gotten over the weeks here of, of, uh, that are garden-related, and I think that hopefully these may help you as well. And one of them was, how do you bring butterflies into the garden? So our beautiful winged friends, they're drawn to bright, cheery flowers. So when you plant a garden and you fill it with their favorite feast, you're going to plan a party for them. So some of the flowers that butterflies just automatically love are echinacea, zinnia, butterfly bush, penstamen, lantana, cosmos, sunflowers, and a few, these are just a few um, of their floral favors. But lilac bushes and wildflowers are also a, a favorite of theirs. So you can encourage them to stay and, um, and party at your house by adding some herbs. And the herbs that you'd like to, to um, add would be host plants, such as milkweed, fennel, parsley, and dill, because these are host plants to their offspring. So the caterpillars, the eggs that hatch into caterpillars, hungrily will nibble on those treats, and then they will metamorphose. Um, you know, the metamorphosis is that they, like magic, become butterflies. If you keep a small saucer of muddy water for them to sip a cool drink, then that's going to keep them close to you too, because they they like they need to have that little bit of water. And if you planted a potager, like I had talked about. Last month with you, your herbs, your flowers, and your vegetables are going to be mingled together. And that offers the best retreat for butterflies and the colorful insects. So you definitely want to have a butterfly garden if you want to have a healthy garden. I also had a question about daffodil blooms, how some people had, a, a, last year they had beautiful daffodils, and this year they didn't have a single flower but they had lots of leaves, so they wanted to know what happened. And this is probably the most frequent complaint I ever get from gardeners who love, in quotes, a perfect garden. Because I don't believe in perfect gardens. There's nothing like perfection. We just have to strive for excellence. And here's what my best guess is, is that last spring after your daffodil blooms faded, you either cut, braided, or tied back the leaves. 
and they didn't have a chance to actually die back. And even as unsightly as they are, it is imperative for the yellowing leaves to naturally disintegrate because that allows for photosynthesis, which feeds the bulb for the following season. The time that you cut them back are when they're really crackly like a potato chip. They're very golden brown. And then that's when you clean up the plant. It, the leaves should just kind of pull away naturally. If you find it really unsightly to let your leaves in your, in your flower beds, plant some annuals or a ground cover. And then that way you're going to get double the blooms next year. And by the way, this procedure is necessary for all blooming bulbs, not just a daffodils. And I have just recently... I've been cleaning up my uh, daffodil leaves. And then the final uh, question that I get a lot is about mosquitoes. We talked about Lyme disease and ticks at the top of the hour. I just want to leave you with something for the mosquitoes because they do carry West Nile virus and other dangerous um, infections and heartworm for your dogs. So be vigilant in emptying any standing water and because even a couple of tablespoons in a a container can entice a mosquito. And then when the he weather heats up, it only takes three to five days for the larva to mature into breeding, biting brats. If you have a pond, you want to put mosquito fish in it or goldfish. If you're in an area that has vector control, they'll come out and give you vector, they'll give you mosquito fish for free. But whatever you do, you don't want to let mosquito breed. And you can also buy mosquito dunks at your local garden center or hardware store. They're safe for people and animals, but they get rid of the larval larva. And if all else fails, you can always use a little bleach, but not in anything that has fish in it. So I want to thank you for uh, listening here every week with me and being such great listeners. And thank you to Justin, my engineer, who always makes me sound good, and the whole team here at World Talk Radio who does just such a super job. Heather and I are very grateful, and we love you to tune in to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where you can change your life, make your dreams come true, and hear about good books and authors. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please give me a, uh, shoot me an email, Cynthia at star-style.com, or you can go to the website, starstyleradio.com, and find us there. So may there be peace within you today. And may you trust your highest power that you are exactly where you are meant to be. And do not forget the infinite possibilities that are born of faith. Let the goodness settle into your bones and your soul. Give it the freedom to sing, to dance, to bask into the sun because it is there for each and every one of you. And as Virgil said, take a big sip of summer. We hope that we encourage, inspire, and motivate you. And we hope we get you reading a book. Until next week, I am Cynthia Bryan. We will celebrate again when Heather and I are back with you. I thank you and encourage you to be the star you are. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. Go out in the world and express yourself and visit btsya.com. Thanks for joining me. We'll have fun next week. Thank you for being part of our star galaxy on today's episode of Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We hope you've enjoyed the commentary and are motivated to dream big, overcome obstacles, and realize your potential. 
For further information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. Join our power party next week right here on World Talk Radio as Cynthia Bryan, Heather Brittany, and the pioneers of the planet pump up the energy with positive, uplifting, life-changing radio. Until then, be the star you are. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our favorite press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the World Talk Radio Network. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Where the world comes to listen and talk. If you are a parent of a child with autism, you know that there can be day-to-day struggles emotionally. Now you can share insights and outlooks with the Mother Cub Show. Your host, Susan Lynn Perry, a parent of a child with autism, will bring a new perspective to the subject, from diagnosis to effective treatments that are working. Her guests will include professionals, authors, and individuals that will bring wonder and hope to the world of autism. Tune in to the Mother Cub Show, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. If you're one of the lucky few that never have to worry about your position or you just prefer to work for someone else, this message is not for you. If you're worried about future job markets, would like an opportunity to add full-time revenue to your bottom line for part-time work or have ever wanted to own your own business, you'll want to hear this. Johnny B's Entertainment, the leader in mobile disc jockey entertainment for Arizona over the past 25 years, is expanding its operation nationally and would like to discuss your market's potential for expansion with you as a local owner. Whether economic times are good or bad, people will continue to get married, have birthdays, anniversaries, and corporate parties that require an entertainer. And Johnny B's can provide everything to get you set up with your own exclusive